Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gaspo. Well guys, uh, we are here to talk about uh, some basketball tournaments. Uh, we are here to talk about... Uh, Final Four. We are here to talk about a championship game, but that is not the NCAA men's tournament that we are here to talk about. That's right, yeah, boys. baby. Northwestern women playing in the finals of the NIT tournament, and this is just huge. The slipper still fits. It's it's amazing. Um, what a run. I mean, there's. We're going to go into this, and we all have stuff. I mean, Scuzz has stats, and we've got storylines. There is so much stuff to unpack about this run. And I guess we should just say, for anyone who's been out there, it's not like the N- the NIT is breathing down your necks on ESPN. Um, why don't you, Sam, why don't you just sum up for anyone who tunes in mainly for football um, what this woman's team has done over the past two weeks? Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, making making the women's NIT, they opened up at home against Dayton uh, with a 74-51 win. They went on the road to Toledo. They won 54-47. Went to West Virginia, uh, where they won by two, 56-54, in a come-from-behind fashion. Came home to play Ohio, uh, also in come-from-behind fashion, winning 61-58. And then uh, just tonight, as we record this on Wednesday, uh, went to James Madison and uh, won 74-69. Uh, really led coast-to-coast coast on that one. JMU tr- kind of made a run late to try and make it interesting, but um, Cats just were able to hit their shots, played really nice defense, and and got it done. And now we're looking at the championship game uh, coming up on Saturday, probably on the road. Um, you know, we found some really interesting ways on how they determine home versus road for the women's NIT. But as we're recording, uh, TCU is playing Arizona and, you know, late in the third quarter, Arizona's up uh, 10, 40 to 30. So we'll keep an eye on that as we record this tonight. But, uh, you know, by by the time this pod is over, we'll know who Northwestern is going to be playing in the uh, NIT championship. Maybe we can start with that because I thought that was a really interesting observation. Um, basically, coming off of the Ohio game, um, we were all wondering what's you know Georgetown JMU like what what's going to happen here, um, and I started searching around trying to figure out how home court is actually determined in the in the women's NIT. And I, the only thing I could really find of any that had any concrete value to it was an article from roughly three years ago that was written up about the Florida Gulf Coast University's women's team that made a run to the Final Four in the NIT, and it talked about how they hosted all like all along the way on their run to the Final Four, and it cost them about one hundred fifty thousand dollars because the way home court is decided in the NIT, at least the women's NIT is whichever school bid more money to host the game because it's a for-profit institution. And so it's like literally whatever two teams make it, they say, what did and you bid? What did you bid? Okay, this one's higher. Here's where we're playing the game. All all the way, end to end, too. The men's at least goes to New York City yeah. for, the, for the finale. The women go, which 
to to the to your to the point we because we did a little digging right and we discovered that i mean if in a bizarre bit of kismet if arizona does win this game the northwestern woman played a final right in the mid 90s of the nit against arizona but there were only 16 teams in that tournament well this whole like the whole like whoever bids highest hosts it all the way through means a heck of a lot more when there are six games to be played um and that's you know it's I'm glad that you started there, Scuzz, because it's this to me is it's just such a fascinating tournament in terms of if if you you're not likely to be a high seed, um, but I mean regardless of if you were unless you were a team that barely missed the tournament or unless you were a small conference team that piled up wins during the regular season and Northwestern's gone through a couple of those on this run, but given the system that you laid out anyway, if you're a team that, that squeaked into the NIT, and honestly, the only reason Northwestern got into this tournament is because of the expanded field. I don't think we were getting into a 32-team NIT, but they went up to 64 teams this year, and Northwestern got in. But it's it's a fascinating bit of poetry in a situation for me. And again, there are so many storylines on this run that I that I just love getting into but this i this i well i was gonna say this idea that only one team can take something truly meaningful out of this tournament of 64 teams it's not like the ncaa you're not raising a banner for final four you're not you know patting yourselves on the back for sweet 16 63 teams are not taking something big away but one can raise a banner and in the case of a team where, to your point, was not dishing out a bunch of money to secure home court rights for this thing, it just starts right out with you going to far-flung ro- locations and playing these games where the return on investment is almost non-existent. And into the teeth of that buzzsaw of just heading out to the moon three times out of five possible games... The women have just done it and have been playing just bananas and playing out of their minds and winning. And, um, and, it's just amazing. And what's crazy is James Madison had only lost one game at home all year long. No, no, they've lost one game at home now. No, no, it, they had they had a loss or like they did oh, have really? one loss. I, yeah. Okay, I was gonna say I thought that they had been I thought they had been undefeated. But yeah, to your point, yeah, they, I mean, yeah, and that's they, that's and that's and that's a twenty nine win team. They they lost to Hofstra. Um, in the women in the uh, the CAA championship game. Gotcha. So I mean, but these are just I mean, it's it's a couple. I mean, we've played a mixture of teams, right? That smaller conference teams with great records, including Ohio, a thirty. I mean, Ohio and James Madison. That's fifty nine wins worth of basketball teams. But at the same time, I mean, West Virginia, you're going on the road. Out, you know, way out to West Virginia um, with no fan support to play a 20-plus win Power 5 conference team um, and pulling out a win. And, and I mean, and that was one of these games. I know, Scuzz, you wanted to go into this, but that's part of this stretch where, you know, on the road um, with, you know, nothing except something you can glimpse in a telescope to play for, um, the woman pull off this incredible rally against uh, a major team. So I, 
I do want to quibble a little bit with it because you you are right, John. It's different from the NCAA tournament where you where the the final four is a big deal. They make a big deal of the Sweet Sixteen. It is different from the men's NIT in that that final four is hosted in New York and is, is right. So you're at least going to the Garden, yeah, right? And is celebrated. It does also seem that in this tournament, along with the home court, um, also go the TV rights. So, for example, when Northwestern hosted Ohio, that game was broadcast on BTN+. Plus. The game tonight was broadcast on JMU's, like, internal athletic uh, streaming service. Um, and I have, thought, I have thoughts on that. But <laughs> I was going to say, with, Sam, with announcers has, to match. Um, we have some WNUR alums with thoughts on the broadcast hey, of that game. From a technical yeah. standpoint, like... The, the feed, the broadcast, the camera work, even they even they had a bar along the bottom that kept accurate accurate track of the score and the clock. I mean, I'll be honest, I had it on mute. That's all I need. But um, but I like John, I get your point. At the same time, I think the nature of this tournament now being shaped the same way as the NCAA tournament. I mean, we. As we've been tweeting and talking about this with other NU fans, we've talked about the Sweet 16 and the Final Four um, of the women's NIT, and I think I think that has afforded some additional value and and I don't know something to play for. But I like the other thing I keep going back to is that this is and we talked about it coming into this postseason that this is a little bit of the cherry on top of the, of of uh, you know a year that that didn't have as much success as we wanted, but is a year we can build on, particularly with the backcourt of Lindsey Pulliam and Veronica Burton, who are young and I mean, one is a star and one is a budding star coming into her own, uh, especially over the last three games. And there is there is a ton of value to a team getting to go on a run like this and getting to uh, experience elimination basketball in a tournament setting against another team that is that is playing for everything at the same time so um so i think there's a ton to 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 be to be gleaned out of this but um but yeah i guess like when you're down however you know when you're down double digits on the road at west virginia that's it's maybe a little harder to find that uh that in in the pit of your stomach obviously we want to dig into performance game by game and and just the roster just because there's so many fascinating things to me um one thing that I know, you know, pivoting up because I know Scuzz, you specifically want to talk about something that dovetails right with this is, you know, and, and it takes us kind of where from where we've just been to where we are now in terms of talking about this is Northwestern came into this tournament sixteen and fourteen, and I think in the NIT, especially in this expanded field, and the NCAA is, is similar, and the and the men's NIT is similar too. You'll have a mixture, right, of, of teams like Ohio and James Madison, small conference teams that put up a ton of wins, but it wasn't enough to get into the field of sixty four. So here they are in the MIT NIT, and then teams like Arizona, like Northwestern, that were barely over five hundred, but they came from more prominent conferences. And I think one of the questions people often ask with teams like this is, okay, Northwestern, you know, hard conference. You look at a team like Iowa that was throwing haymakers all the way up until they ran into Baylor in the NCAAs. I mean, like the Big Ten had a lot of good teams, good women's teams this year. And Northwestern was in that mix and threw haymakers and, and ultimately, you know, had a rough stretch run. So then the question becomes, well, so given everything we've talked about and given the fact that, you know, you're 
you know, t- I mean, we we talked about it earlier, Scott, but the idea that you know, they're only a, you get to raise a banner if you win the women's NIT, but you're not raising a Sweet Sixteen banner for a women's NIT, etc. So the question becomes effort, right? What does this game mean? And the beautiful thing to me is, um, and you mentioned earlier, our young guards, but this synthesis, this like clicking moment of the young guards combined with Palace Kunai Akpana being like. I'm not done. I'm throwing up double doubles as long as we're in this thing. And and I think, you know, pivoting to I know where you specifically want to go, Scuzz, the team effort. This is a team that could have chosen to go out at 16 and 15 and instead are just playing bananas, not just offensively, but especially on the defensive end. Yeah, I, the, the the defensive effort. And, and Kunai Akpana and... Lindsey Pulliam were really the only two players that were um, the average, you know, double digits in scoring throughout the course of the year. We've seen Burton step up big time in the postseason. We already talked about her. We've seen Jordan Hamilton step up uh, in the postseason. We've seen Abby Scheid have a couple of, of really nice games. But yeah, it's the it's the defense, particularly what happened in the last five minutes of both the West Virginia and Ohio games. And these these were games where the Cats were trailing um, by double digits at one point against West Virginia, but. In the last five minutes of both of those games, the Cats held those two teams to six shot attempts each. This is incredible. I, and they, like, and and they only, on the road on the, or on the road for one of them. Yeah, yeah. on the road for one of them. Um, they only and on top of that, they only allowed like one or two of those to go in. But so uh, Veronica Burton. Had her she is she has had four or more steals in each of the last four games. Um, many of those came down the stretch in that in the West Virginia and Ohio games. Uh, West Virginia in particular, I think I think she had three in the la- like on on three of the last four possessions. Veronica Burton had a steal. Um, she did it again tonight uh, as well. It, they didn't need that kind of effort down the stretch to get caught back up, but the way the Cats locked down and not just stole, but completely denied both West Virginia and in Ohio the opportunity to even take a shot. Um, what's stunning about this is that, so it should be noted that that was six shot attempts out of 10 possessions. So basically they held teams to a 60% like attempt rate. Over the course of, of both of those two games, the, the attempt rate was closer to like 80%. That's a gargantuan drop-off um, when you really think about what they were able to accomplish there. So... On top of that, the, the the defense that they brought tonight, like they destroyed JMU in the first in the first quarter. Um, I think they forced seventeen total turnovers throughout the course of the game, and then the difference between tonight and the last three games was the shooting, particularly from three. The Cats shot over forty percent from three tonight. Everything was going in. Uh, Burton had a great night from three. I think she was three of four. And, like, she started off the game just, like, right off the bat. Boom, yeah. boom. Win the tip, drain a three, boom. And and when you go back and look at, so it was, it was like, 30% against Ohio. It was, like, 28% against West Virginia. Against uh, Toledo, the Cats only shot 10% from three. They were one of 11 from three. Um, they, there were a lot of free throws in that contest down the, down the stretch that helped them uh, hold Toledo to only – nine points in both the third and fourth quarters. But the, the, the way this defense plays, they are, they are spectacular and in your face. And they've, they've got this ability to not, not just force other teams to take bad shots, but literally shut the other team's offense down. And I don't, 
I don't recall ever seeing something quite like this from a Northwestern basketball squad, men's or women's. Yeah, I, to me, it's it's incredible, and I think you've you've pinpointed a bunch of it already. But to me, it's like there are three specific players who jump out, and it's these three storylines, and they're all different, and they're all so interesting to me. Um, number one is Kanai Akpana, who again, every game she plays for the Cats is her last game. And she's a great player. She's, you know, like a you know, a war horse. She's been just throwing up double-doubles as long as she's been at Northwestern. And she's a classic player who, you know, she's an all-Big Ten caliber player. Certainly not like all-Big Ten first team. But she's someone who's just out there getting it done. Just throwing up, you know. She may have been uh, a leading rebounder in the Big Ten this year. I think Coach McCune made made reference to that, like called her right. the best rebounder of the Big Ten. I don't know if like she's actually number one statistically, I, but she's she's in that conversation for sure. Right. I think like I I think back to you know when we were in school. I think you know it's she's kind of like a Tavares Hardy comp. Like I would say as like a comparison, right? A really good player in the league. Not necessarily like the best player, not a player on one of these powerhouse teams, not a Megan Gustafson, but a very good player and a player who's loading the box score and a bunch of different stats. And then Burton, who you mentioned earlier, Burton's the ascendant story. I mean, I think if like no one is taking more out of this tournament than Veronica Burton. And Burton is a player who was a big time player in the Northeast, Boston Globe player of the year coming out of high school, but not the massive recruit on the level of some of the other players that we've seen come in. Um, and she's had good games so far this season. And you just see it clicking for her in this tournament. The more they've won, the better she's gotten. And now she's become this third banana on the team that is just a- another weapon. And of course, that leads us to Pulliam. The bottom line is the vast majority of the teams in the women's NIT don't have a first team all Big Ten guard. And we do. And it goes back to the whole thing of like, well, okay, then then why didn't you win more games? Well, because this team was a star-crossed team that was trying to figure out what it was with a lot of young players who were putting it together in a hard conference. And then you get to the NIT and it's like, well, okay, so, you know, are you guys just happy to be here and then you're going to turn the page to the next season? Nope. Our star guard is like, I'm better than every player on the court in every one of these games and I'm going to go out. It's funny, I was thinking earlier about Moneyball and the idea that, you know the scene in Moneyball where Jonah Hill is trying to convince all the scouts and he's listing all the guys and he's like, yeah, but I don't know, but he gets on base. What does this guy do? Well, you know what? He gets on base and he's listing all the guys and they just can't, they they can't argue with the fact. Well, Polium's jump shot comes and goes. She's had trouble with three pointers in this tournament. Um, Her field goal percentage has gone up and down game to game. But she gets to the line and she makes free throws. And in three of these games, she's poured up a boatload of free throws. Um, she makes probably, what, 80, 85% of them. And she gets to the line and she hits her free throws. She's a great guard. She's great with the ball in her hands. And she can get into the paint and draw contact. And it's a huge weapon that a lot of the teams in this tournament don't have. And it's just between these three players... It's all clicking right now. And it's just a team that is all of these pieces are clicking at the exact right moment. And it's it's been amazing to watch. I, and, I do want to highlight that you mentioned her jump shot, John, which 
like her, yeah, her shooting percentage has been, has been up and down. She's a, she's a bit of a volume shooter. She's shooting, you know, 15, 15 or more shots a game, I believe throughout the course of the tournament. But, um, tonight, like when she, when she is, uh, on the, on the break, like when the, when the cats rebound a, a miss and they push the ball up the court and, she generally has it in her hand, and when she pulls up and shoots, it is a thing of beauty. I do not think I've seen a smoother player in a Northwestern uniform, men or women, um, in that in that scenario in the way that she uh, attacks in, in that situation. It's it's glorious. And you know, John, you talk about you know this team coming together and, and clicking, and what what's amazing is, except for Kunai Akpana, everyone is back. This is a young team, um, and you know there's just th- this run. You know, regardless of what happens on Saturday, has to has to be just amazing to bring this team together and just set the table for next year. Absolutely. I mean, I think you look at the way Burton is playing down the stretch here, and you look at Polium, and again, Polium is having a moment in this tournament. A lot of other people are, but Polium clearly has chosen to be like, I'm the best player in this tournament. And that's just the way it is. And I'm first team all Big Ten. And all of these small conference teams that have piled up wins this season ain't seen me. And I don't care if I'm going on the road or I'm playing at home. I'm running right through all of these teams. And again, like, Three of the teams have been smaller conference teams, but she also went out to West Virginia. That's what I just like. I keep coming back to that game in particular and also the James Madison game just from the idea that it's this tournament is like there's no there are no neutral sites. It's like, well, congratulations, you're still playing and we're throwing you out to West Virginia. You're going out to Charleston, West Virginia um, to lose. And it's like, nope, I'm not. I'm the best player in this tournament, and it's awesome. It's funny. As we're talking right now, in the interest of some real-time analysis, TCU is being a little feisty against Arizona. It's a five-point game. Um, and obviously, we're, we talked about it earlier, but baked into this is we, uh, we obviously have no idea the inner workings. But if TCU were to win, there'd be a chance we'd be looking at a home game Saturday. Um, but... Arizona almost certainly will host if they win, but we'll see. Yeah, Arizona had, I think, 8,000 uh, fans come out for their quarterfinal game. Um, and then they're hosting TCU tonight. Presumably it's close to a sellout. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, so so I'm confident that – I can't find a trace of evidence for this, but I'm confident that the, this bid this bid process that we were talking about, that schools submit their, their – bids by round either in advance of the round or like 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 Northwestern is not preparing their bid in terms of what they're willing to pay for the national championship game right now or the the NIT championship game right now that that would that would not make sense that would introduce all sorts of of unpleasantness um, and make this like a really icky situation I can't imagine that that's the case I have to think that when Northwestern accepted their bid to this tournament Part of that acceptance was saying, here's what we are willing to pay for a home game at each uh, stage of the tournament, and that that's the formula that the NIT is using to determine home court. Um, Part of that equation that Northwestern would certainly consider is, all right, what's our likely attendance? 
um, how much of, of this cost do we defray with tickets? Uh, how much how much is avoided cost by not having the team have to travel, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you can see that this feels less icky as you start to peel back some of the layers from, from that initial comment of, oh, yeah, teams bid for home court and whoever pays more wins. Um, but it's... It is interesting to think about, like Arizona, given that they're they're drawing that hard. You have to think that that they've got the top the top figure. TCU had about twenty five hundred fans for their game against Cincinnati, but um, that's a much smaller school with with much more finite resources than Northwestern. So who knows? Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, right, it's right now. It's, it's like it's a seven point say. game. There's a minute and a half left. Like it's like it's, it seems like we're leaning towards Arizona, which is going to be a tough magic for NU, no doubt. So I, I'm, actually, I'm actually looking at, at the box score, just trying to do some like way too early analysis. And, um, you know, the, the big thing that sticks out to me, just looking at the numbers of, of this game, is the fact that, you know, Arizona is shooting 40% at, from both the, the floor and from three. Um, but they only have five offensive rebounds. TCU shooting 26% from the floor, but has 21 offensive rebounds. So that tells me that, you know, TCU's got some size on the inside and is cleaning up their messes. Um, you know, so look, looking at our team, we're not necessarily the best at crashing the boards, uh, Kunai Akpana you know, aside, but, you know, I, I think, and again, way too early analysis based on looking at one, yeah. <laughs> one box score. <laughs> Well, it's, and, and, it's yet, funny too. and yet, this analysis is better than the analysis that you got on from the James Madison uh, broadcasting duo. <laughs> hey, look, Sam, the Northwestern Huskies are a strong. I don't know where they are, but I assume they're a strong team. So um, I, I'll just yeah. I'll say this: there's a lot there's a lot of of six two six three on the TCU and Arizona rosters. Um, at Northwestern, we're looking at uh, Abby Wolf is six four. Abby Scheid is 6'2", um, Palace is 6'2", and then it's it's six foot or less otherwise. Oh, Brianna Hopkins is, is 6'2", but she doesn't play very often because she's a freshman. So, um, so like, we we will probably be giving up some height to Arizona. I'll be interested to, to try to dig into their stats to understand. Like, well, they, they don't shoot. They're not a great three-point shooting team. Well, there's a um, – so they're, they're – uh, it'll be interesting to see what their guards are like. Cause that's obviously a big matchup, right? Well, that's, that's the big thing. There's a fantastic matchup to look forward to in this game. Um, Arizona funnels their offense through Ari McDonald. And she was an interesting, I don't know what all the details were. She was PAC 12, all freshman team at Washington as a freshman and then transferred to Arizona. So she was like, Washington's one of their bright young stars transferred to Arizona, sat out last year. So she's a redshirt sophomore, but she's a, a sophomore on Arizona's team. And so she has she's the leading scorer in this game, but you look at the volume, she's put up 23 shots in this game. And no so, no one else has taken more than eight. Right. And you can and she's 5'7", so you can draw immediate parallels to her and Pulliam. And the idea of these two going head to head in wow. this game sounds pretty um, Arian McDonald get ready to meet Veronica Burton. Yeah, same thing. Right? I mean, it's I like mean, the... it's like that's like if I'm the Cats, I I put my oh, best defender sure. on her and and see what we can but, do. And the the other thing too, though, I mean, like the parallels. Arizona was 17 and 13 coming into this tournament, and we were 16 and 14. 
Um, and it's it's two teams that are major conference teams that you know were good but not quite good enough in tough conferences that are finding it right now. Um, you know, it's like eras like uh, Pac-12. It was the year of uh, Sabrina Ionescu, right? And then uh, and um, in the Big Ten, it was Megan Gustafson. And these it was just powerhouse teams in those conferences and then other strong teams fighting for everything else. And these are the two teams that were just on the outside looking in that have found it in the postseason. So, I mean, right now there's less than a minute left. Arizona's up by seven. But it's it's going to be exciting. Like if, if Arizona ends up hosting, I think what this game is CBS Sports Network, and I think it'll be two central um, oh, I don't on get Saturday. CBS Sports Network. Duh. I know. I, we'll have to be finding it online or something. But it's but it's it's going to be awesome. I think this is and I mean to your point. I mean Burton, she's ascended. But I mean Abby Scheid recently had a great game. She was um, she was four of six from three tonight. That's right. So, I mean, but either way, I mean, it's, again, just to come back to, there are six, I mean, after tonight, in a, in a minute, there will be six women's basketball teams still playing basketball in the nation, and we're one of them. It's, I mean, I just, the run to win, to be, you know, you can play six, and the women are going to play six, whether they get to hang a banner at the end of it or not. Um, it's It's an amazing ride. I wish that we all had the chance to go to Welsh Ryan on Saturday and support them. But, um, you know, we'll certainly be watching them, and, and they are making us all take notice. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on in this last minute of, uh, of the game. Um, 50 seconds left, 54-48 uh, Arizona. But uh, I, I guess we would be a little bit remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, you know, the other big tournament going on, and that's the uh, NCAA hockey bracket. <laughs> oh, I like what you did there, my friend. That's right. My Denver Pioneers back to the Frozen Four. We were I was going to talk Scuzz, you were talking earlier about uh you were talking about, you know, the potential ethics or whatever of, you know, being able to pay to host and it's like what if you get to host an entire regional as a four seed in the Frozen Four? Yeah, in a, in a sixteen team ser- series. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's. I guess it's a good. thing. It's all right though. It, it's not like in Providence, people will come out and loudly support the home <laughs> team or anything. So, it, so it's so it is. So this was controversial in the uh, in the hockey bracket this year. In that Providence was a four seed, and uh, they were, you know, they hosted uh, a, a regional in on their home ice and ended up winning that regional uh as as the four seed they knocked off the one seed in their in their corner of the bracket that was Minnesota State who arguably um Minnesota State didn't play anybody all year i think they were one and two and one against other tournament teams so that that wasn't that surprising and then um they absolutely hammered the heck out of Cornell in the second round Cornell who was missing their uh their starting goaltender for for both games that they played so they benefited a little bit from luck um there was a major penalty called in the in the third period against minnesota state that led to um to two providence goals that put them up five to three i didn't see the hit so i don't know like i can't i can't say one way or another but um that's that's about as controversial controversial as it actually got like because they beat cornell so badly um i don't know so 
little bit of little bit of controversy on ice uh, outside outside of that. The one other thing that I think is worth mentioning about the hockey tournament, and and I talk about this all the time, that it's just it's an absurd tournament because single elimination hockey is just is just nuts, um, and that like the top seed gets knocked off all the time. Well, for the second year in a row, number one seed St. Cloud State. They were the number one overall seed this year. Not true last year, but they got knocked off by a school that nobody has ever heard of. American <laughs> International College located in Western Massachusetts. And, and it, and I mean, they got, they got, they got beat. They got shut out. Um, oh no, I think they got was, one goal. It was two to one, two to yeah, one. Yeah, two to one. They got one goal towards the end, but they just looked lifeless the whole game. And they're, they're a number one overall seed. They're playing in, uh, in Fargo, right? Like, um, just crazy. So it's, it's, it's been fun thus far. Um, American International College did not did not advance further, but um, they have a sweet a sweet logo. They're the Yellow Jackets. I don't know. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll be back. Uh, it's interesting. You got um, Denver versus UMass. Neither team has given up a goal this entire tournament. So that that's one side of the frozen four. The other the other half, Providence and Minnesota Duluth. Um, so and, that that it's going to be interesting. Like. This Denver UMass game is going to be a lot of fun. I think UMass has just looked really good. You know, shut out Harvard for nothing, and then beat Notre Dame for nothing as well. Yeah, they've they've looked dominant. They have um, the unquestioned best player in college hockey, and that is uh, Kale Maker. He is um, he's a defenseman. He's going to win the he's going to win college hockey's version of the Heisman this year. Hobie Williamson- Baker. William Sonoma makes an excellent kale maker. <laughs> See, that's, every time <laughs> I hear his right up. Every time I hear his name, I have, I have that same thought. It's pretty funny. Um, I like. I don't know that he's. I don't think believe he's the number one. Uh, actually, I think he's probably already been drafted. Um, he has. He, he's. He's. Uh, he's going to the Avalanches. The moment that uh, this tournament is over, he's going to sign his deal and, and be playing for the Avs. Yeah, but so he's seen as like a like a you know, as close to a can't miss pro prospect as you get. He's been, he's been phenomenal in this tournament. Um, he's great both defensively and, and contributing offensively as a defenseman. So, um, and then De- Denver's, you know, Denver's just really solid. Uh, they have, they have a, a, they probably have more pro prospects than anybody left in the tournament. If I recall, I, my, I, I know they got one of, one of the Blackhawks, uh, defensemen, like mm-hmm. one of the Blackhawks, you know, big four defenseman prospects is a, uh, is a pioneer. Yep. And then, uh, and then on the other side, um, Minnesota Duluth defending champs, and uh, and and Providence shrug emoji. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just need to add here. So, Scuzz has obviously mentioned it before, but Scuzz hosts a Frozen Four pool every year, um, not for money, but for an amazing trophy, um, and. I've been in it, I don't know how many years, not as long as, as either of you. I mean, obviously, Scuzz, but I'm, I'm sure Sam's been in it much longer than I have, too. And I don't know how long I've been in it, six or seven years, probably. I've never even sniffed success of any kind. I'm almost always eliminated because I know almost nothing about hockey, let alone college hockey. I will just well, pick. You get excited about like, the likes of UMass Lowell oh, and other, oh, you know, so, knuckleheaded oh, I, I Eastern get, teams. Oh, I get <laughs> super stoked out of whatever sad, long dead mill town in the in the Northeast <laughs> is cranking out a hockey team at that particular moment. It's fantastic. But so, but I I picked uh, Providence and UMass. And I think I, I think I have Providence. Do I have Providence beating UMass? I think I do in the final. 
And then Scuzz sent out an email that said, um, I actually have a chance to win this thing if Providence beats UMass, in which case it'll go to a tiebreaker between me and one other person. That's notable because under the final score tiebreaker option, instead of putting in a score, I just wrote Wicked Hardcore (laughs) because I assumed that I'd be eliminated almost immediately. Um, So it's going to be up to Scuzz as arbiter of the tournament. I would submit that a game between Providence and UMass will almost certainly be Wicked Hardcore and that thus I, I can only win in that chance really even if umass wins i should still win because i guarantee it's going to be wicked hardcore pissa in that game um not an r will be spoken by any fan in either side um so i don't know i just think the whole thing is hilarious but i do think it's really funny that providence like it's not like i i don't know what to put it's it's not like you put like it wouldn't be like north carolina getting like being a low seed and then getting to be in like the Greensboro region because like North Carolina fans are like too wine and cheese. It would be more like, I don't even like, I don't even know, like Mississippi state fans getting to host football games as huge underdogs. And every one of them had a cowbell. It'd be something like that. It's like, you're like, like Providence people aren't going to get liquored up and then go support the home team. Uh, no. So the whole thing I found just like hilarious, but yeah, God bless, God bless college hockey. All right. I guess we should talk about the NCAA men's tournament, (laughs) but if if we must, no, I mean, this tournament's been interesting so far and you know, by interesting, I mean, very, very chalky until you hit the elite eight. Um, You know, you've only got one, one seed here in, in the final four, but you know, going into the sweet 16, Four one seeds, four two seeds, four uh, four three seeds. Uh, what was it? Two fours, a five, and a twelve, something like that. So like, not a lot of ups or not any upsets early. And then you know the the games in the elite eight were just a lot of fun. That, there's, there's been there's been some fun basketball. That's what stood out to me. I cannot remember a better tournament from that perspective of like the quality of basketball that we saw in the sweet 16 and the elite eight. And even, and even you you could probably even make that claim earlier on too. I mean, there were some really, really, really good games in the first two rounds. There usually are, but um, I just, I do not recall um, this level of play. When you, when you think about the Purdue Tennessee game, when you think about the Purdue um, Virginia game, uh, the games Texas Tech has been involved in, Duke Michigan State, like every game has been good. Um, Duke Virginia Tech, Duke US UCF, like it, like it goes on and on. Um, and it's not buzzer beaters. It's not like it's not just dr- a dramatic ending. Well, I mean UCF definitely could have been, and it, like, could, it could have been. But but Duke, that's, Duke but, ran into a couple like very well could have lost situations. But that's not what made, has made these games good. Like no, like, no, you're absolutely right. Oh, it, it's yeah. it's been the fact that both teams have been playing at such a high level and just trading haymakers, and um, it, it, it's been the 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 quality of play has been astoundingly good. I, I cannot fathom why that might be the case, um, but it has been. I can we get more of this, please? Um, I, I'll mention also like 
my barometer for being entertained by the the NCAA tournament, like the bar, it's easy for me to be entertained by it, but for me to like shift attention away from keeping my children from tearing the house <laughs> apart, like it's got to be pretty good to suck me in as much as it has um, relative to like 15 years ago when I was just, you know, going to the bar every night for, for games. So um, that, that says something to me too. Like this, this is far and away better than I can recall any, any previous tournament in terms of the quality of play. That's, and that's the, the trade-off. I think, you know, like, like you juxtaposed to last year, it's all about like um, Loyola and just the idea of a Cinderella making it as far as possible and how much we all love that. Um, and you know, I count me right at the front of the line of people that want to see crazy upsets at the start of the tournament. But the flip side is, yeah, this, uh, it's like chugging Pepto Bismol. If you can, you know, deal with that chalky aftertaste up at the beginning, you feel a lot better a little bit later, apparently, because yeah, the quality. <laughs> I, I love that analogy. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I guess so. I literally came to me right now, but I was like, chalk, chalky, chalk. So it's like, if you can stomach all the chalk early. Um, but I mean, like in the Big Ten, I mean, Michigan State and Purdue have played out of their minds. Um, and then there's the whole situation with Duke, which is um, a fascinating situation because it really is true that, um, I mean, I kind of came away being like, Duke had the number one recruiting class in the country by a mile to the extent that if Zion Williamson had signed with another school, Duke still would have had the number one recruiting class in the country by a good margin. And if they hadn't signed Zion Williamson, I don't know that that would have been even a great basketball team. Um, the other guys, like, again, like, I I mean, RJ Barrett is capable of playing out of his mind. So is Jones. Cam Reddish, I guess we assume can. If Zion Williamson dragged that team through the ACC tournament, and through the NCAA tournament. And, I mean, R.J. Barrett at the end of games was just a mess. Yeah, I the, the, some of the shine has come off of that penny um, based on the, yeah. last, the last three games. Especially, yeah. especially, like, how many times were you watching? And not that I'm rooting for Duke. We, we, we covered that ground pretty uh, squarely with, with Scott Seppich as we kicked off the tournament. But, but just, like, why aren't you passing the ball to Williamson? He's unstoppable. It just, it was just stunning to see. He's, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm, he's everything. I, I mean, I put him ahead of Anthony Davis and behind LeBron James in the list of the last group of guys. I don't understand how he's not perfect. Like I, like what more do you want him to do? And, like, and this, he seems like, like at least on the outside, he seems like a cool dude. Like he's not, oh, he's not who, an a-hole who doesn't talk trash and just plays, gives 110%. Did you guys see the clip? Was it today or yesterday? He almost broke a backboard. Uh, he, he almost broke a hoop and had it landed on him, dunking in a pickup game at Duke, which, first of all, as, as the entire nation screams, get off the pickup basketball court. <laughs> um, what are you doing? But it's like he's he just only has one speed and and it's but at the same time he's such a smart basketball player he throws great assists and makes outlet plays I mean, and again I just like this without him Duke got rolled by North Carolina twice and then with him they lost to they Virginia had just, Tech too without him r- right and they had just enough to squeak by UCF in a game they should have lost 
Um, and then the game after, same deal. And, and then, you know, lost deservedly so to Michigan State. But it's like, you know, to your other point too, I mean, Auburn, Texas Tech, and Michigan State are three non-one seeds that are playing unbelievable basketball right now. And you could throw Purdue in too as a team that in a losing effort played, you know, out of their minds. Um, I mean, it's just a bunch of mid-seeds just played so, so well. And then, of course, there is the whole aside, too, to be like, oh, good God, like, this is what Purdue and Michigan State are bringing to the Big Ten next year. <laughs> it's like, you it's like as we try to figure out our issues, some teams are on a totally different plane right now. But... Um, it is. It, it's, it's great basketball, and it's going to be an awesome Final Four. I mean, one of these teams, I mean, Michigan State, Izzo is, I don't know, has never been better. And, you know, if it's not Michigan State, one of these teams is going to be doing something they've never done before. Can I ask what you guys thought in the moment, uh, assuming you were watching about the Izzo breakdown, like mental breakdown? When he, when he flipped the, out when he, on the, on the yeah, guy? When he, fl- when he flipped, that, flipped out on, on his shooting guard, Henry? Well, so I don't know. Like part of it is we've all seen Izzo do this a ton of times before. Like that was like it's not like I haven't seen Izzo do this before. I've, like I've seen him red faced. I've never I've never seen him reaching toward a player like Bobby Knight style. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I've seen the the face. You know, the the photo that was making the rounds. I've seen him make that exact face yeah, yeah. before. <laughs> um, and I I do think I don't know. It's. I do think in the case of Izzo, it's a little different. Like, did you guys see Draymond Green's comment afterwards? Like, Draymond's comment was something, like, you can see right away it's not a Bobby Knight dynamic at all. Like, Draymond's comments was like, yeah, did you see, like, how the players got in between? I used to do that all the time. Because sometimes, Izzo, like, sometimes he coach just, like, goes past a threshold that he can't really come back from. And you kind of just have to, like, let him cool down for a little bit. And then you kind of move on with it. And it was one of those things where they're like, yeah, yeah, this is coach. Like, we love him. He just does this. You know? Like, it's one of those things where I but, didn't But is that under- Stockholm Syndrome? Like, no, where, I like, where do we well, draw no, that line? But, right? see, that, but to that's but to that's the point. Like Draymond was not like I like you get the point with his guys that it's not like this George Patton thing like it was with Knight, where you have a bunch of guys afraid to speak up while he just like berates them or whatever. I don't know. Like I it just seemed like it's a little bit of a different dynamic. I Izzo's always been an interesting guy to me because I'm like I've been to his hometown many times because my wife has family up there. And it's like, I look, I don't want to throw shade at Iron Mountain, Michigan. I'm just saying, in his own way, Tom Izzo has a shared economic experience with a lot of his players. Um, it's just from a different region of the country. But, like, when people say that, like, he's a blue-collar dude, like, that's not a lie. Like, Tom Izzo comes from a place that people don't really make it out of. And he... I just think he has that kind of sensibility. I don't know. I just get the sense that he connects with his players on a level that when stuff like this happens, they just move past it. But, uh, you know, to your point, like, if you're right, like, I I don't want to just make a blanket statement like that because I was, you know, I'm someone who hated the Bobby Knight stuff more than anything. Um, but I don't know. Like, the Draymond comments stood out to me because Draymond, I think, was sort of like, look— there were times when, like, he would just do this, and we're like, all right, enough. Like, we got to call a play now, so I'm just going to take my guy away from here, you know. So I don't know. 
And I, when we know that Draymond and Izzo like love each other, so I don't know. Uh, just to circle back, Arizona beats TCU 59-53, so uh, it, it's go. official. Um, I would assume we're going to the desert. I, I would imagine so. Uh, we'll find that out probably pretty soon. Um, you know, keep an eye on keep an eye on Twitter and uh, Facebook and all those social media strains. We'll uh, pass that along pass that along as soon as we uh, find out for ourselves. Uh, but we, we mentioned it earlier, but this is a rematch of the 1996. Uh, women's NIT final. As everyone knows, rematch. <laughs> it's like, this is, it's funny. I mean, we even had to look this up, but it's rarefied air. Did you guys see the the clip? I think Louis Vacare tweeted it out um, that Jim Phillips was at one of the tourney games. I forget who it was, but he was seated right behind one of the scorers tables and he was wearing a sport coat. Which is like one of the most bizarre, jarring things ever to see Jim Phillips wearing a sport coat. I mean, yeah. but I was he, nah, he he was there because he sits on the selection committee. So he was, oh, was, that's that's was the rest of the selection committee sitting with him though? No, I mean, yeah. they probably split it up. They probably split up. I mean, true. But I my my long point was going to be Jim Phillips is going to be sitting in tucson for this game and he ain't gonna be wearing no sport coat i can guarantee <laughs> i can guarantee you that much yeah a- april in tucson it, it's not you know a broiler yet but it's, it's starting to get a little warm um yeah oh so are you saying he should cut the sleeves off the sport co- the, the the dress shirt because I, I would like to see that i'm saying he should cut the sleeves off the sport coat <laughs> do it and just keep the white dress shirt underneath to hulk it out that that that's that's Amazing. the way you should go Jim, tuxedo, tuxedo t-shirt because it oh, says yeah. I'm here to party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm formal, but I'm here to party. There you go. Oh, well, Scuzz, um, before we get out of here, Scuzz, you had one uh, one point to make um, football related and uh, email that came to, I think, most Northwestern season ticket holders today. Yes, I received this email and I assume many of many of our listeners did as well. And yeah, it, I, I got it too. The, the gist is that... Um, the Northwestern client services team has spent the past few months uh, basically reaching out directly to season ticket holders that sit on the East sideline in sections 107, 108 and 109 to say like, Hey, it appears that you've been reselling your tickets to opposing fans. We would like to move you to another part of the stadium. Um, and it sounds like there's even some cases where, where the folks have walked away from their seats. So, they're reselling these seats back to season ticket holders only. The reason I want to bring it up is this is probably one of the most complained about things um, amongst the Northwestern fan base. Uh, the frustration of you show up for a, a gargantuan game at Ryan Field against a big-time opponent, and there's a buck nut sitting next to you in what should be an all-purple section. It is exceedingly frustrated it's been uh, a thorn in our side many many a times um sitting on the home sideline even up up around the the uh what what are we like 35 yard line 40 rows up something like that yeah like yep um, yeah if anybody wants to come by and visit like y'all y'all know where we sit now but um point being uh this is a this is a proactive and I think like really meaningful move that Northwestern athletics is, is taking action in this, in this spot and is working with these, these um, folks to, you know, not, not just boot them mercilessly out of the stadium. Even, even that's what some of us might want to do at times, <laughs> but 
uh, to to make the opportunity for the dedicated hardcore fans to take the best seats and to create, you know, the, the Northwestern experience that we want in, in the stadium. Um, and that's like, if there's so many things are going really well around Northwestern football right now. Um, and the, the atmosphere at Ryan field is probably the biggest, the biggest drag that that's still out there that we gotta, we gotta, uh, fix a little bit. So this was really welcome news to me. It was really exciting. I thought I would mention it here just for anyone who maybe either didn't get this email or, um, you know, went to junk or whatever. Uh, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a pretty awesome sign of the length the athletic department is going to, to improve the experience at Ryan field. Since, since we are the Westlot pirates right now, I'm picturing the scene in pirates of the Caribbean where Johnny Depp is riding his boat into harbor and he passes the skeleton hanging from the rock uh, by a noose. And above it, there's a sign that says Pirates, ye be warned. Well, season ticket holders, ye be warned. <laughs> wow. We're not. <laughs> this is what you get. Uh, let me put it like the athletic department is being a lot more forgiving than I would be. Because to me, there is no worse sin than this. This is like some Benedict, that's some Benedict Arnold stuff. And, uh, like the idea of any of us would ever sell our season tickets to some, I mean, if I was giving my ticket away or selling it, I would never sell it anonymously. Even if I need the money, I'd be like, I need to find a Northwestern person. Because to me, the idea of selling a ticket in my home stadium to uh, someone who's a fan of the other team, I, to me, that is, that is just low. Like, I, ye be warned. That's all I'm saying. There's a, there's, there's a special part in the ninth circle of hell next to people who uh, talk on their phones during movies. Exactly. <laughs> there was there was a period of time where our, our approach to selling season tickets was to basically convince teams, uh, like fans, like, hey, make Northwestern your second favorite team. Um, that probably backfired a little bit in this in this regard. And, uh, and like, and the other thing too is okay. Ne- like, it, it, it's a simple map, people. You've got people from Nebraska, right? Who the team has joined the Big Ten, and there are more Nebraska alums or people who want to drive in from Nebraska all the way to Ryan Field to see a game than ever before, and those people are all looking for tickets. And the obvious move is to sell those people a fake ticket. Why would you not want to do such a thing? I mean, like someone driving in from Lincoln, showing up at a stadium uh, and having their ticket turned away. I mean, that just warms my heart just to think of it. And, like, and you know, that, that's, that's not no advocate fraud no. on this podcast. <laughs> and especially because... I know, kid. I kid. Especially you know, because, I, you know, it wouldn't be too hard for them to just go and you know, buy a real ticket. From I from all the scalpers, yeah, and then they're a little salty, and I, nothing worse than salty. Well, overly salty corn is just <laughs> it's no it's no good. You want a little salt I, on your corn, but not not too much. I kid, but seriously, for the love of God, don't sell your tickets to a member of the opposing team. Come on. And hey, listen, we've 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 helped people um, find buyers for their tickets in the past too. So if you're looking for tickets or you're looking to sell tickets because um, you can't come to a game or something, like hell, reach out to us. Uh, we'll we'll try to help connect you with 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 folks um, that are doing the same thing. I mean, no promises, right? There's games where that's just kind of a hard thing to do. Like if like if you show up and you're trying to sell your tickets to the one double A game, I mean, I, I like 
Sorry. UMass. We're not going to be able to help you much uh, on selling. Although maybe, John, you can you can uh, y- you be able to find some folks out in. <laughs> pull, pull some strings. Find Murph and Sully down on the corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but point being, like, uh, use the message boards are a good spot. I've I've been able to sell tickets on the message boards in the past, um, and you and you can usually, if you especially if you're going through the, if, if you ask enough questions, you can you can be relatively confident somebody that um, is a Northwestern fan, uh, those sorts of things. So you th- these things because they're electronic now, it makes it a lot easier um, to do this. So uh, yeah, let us help you out if you need some help. Yeah, and and as as a a, a soft pivot here, um, and I know we're about to get out of here. One opportunity you will not have to come to the West Lot Pirates to try to score you a ticket is this Saturday because it is official. We are going to the desert. Um, it, we are at Arizona, three p.m. Eastern, two p.m. Central, uh, in Tucson, and it will be uh, yeah CBS Sports Network, and hopefully, hopefully, some way for those like Scuzz who don't have that network uh, to still watch the game. <sighs> And so Arizona drew 10,000 for their game tonight. Whew. Dang. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. So, I mean, uh, we, we've gone on the road uh, before and you know, we'll continue to do so. So this is not foreign territory. So, you know, come on, ladies, let, let's get it done. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy. I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.